Today, the UN votes on Russia. More developments in the ongoing story about the Nord Stream pipeline sabotage and a controlled explosion at Buckingham Palace. From TLDR News, this is your daily briefing for Wednesday the 3rd of May 2023. Last week, the United Nations voted on a motion entitled Cooperation between the United Nations and the Council of Europe. That motion, put forward by a whole host of European countries, Canada and the US, passed overwhelmingly with just five votes against. But so what? The UN votes on a ton of bland, unexceptional motions. The key here being that the motion had a morsel of spice hidden in it that only really got public attention this week. If you scroll to paragraph 9 of the motion's preamble, it states, recognising also that the unprecedented challenges now facing Europe following the aggression by the Russian Federation against Ukraine and against Georgia prior to that, i.e. the motion in its preamble explicitly acknowledges Russian aggression. The motion, preamble and all, ultimately got the green light from 122 UN members, including China and India, who had previously been incredibly careful not to openly condemn Russia's invasion of Ukraine. It's worth adding, however, that there were actually two votes. A vote on including paragraph 9, and then a vote on the motion as a whole. Both China and India abstained in the former, but voted in favour in the latter. In any case, we shouldn't jump the gun here. It's unlikely that this will be the start of either China or India's full-throated support of Ukraine. But this small move is a move nonetheless. Staying on the topic of Russia, there have been some updates in the mystery of who blew up the Nord Stream pipelines. Last September, the two pipelines connecting Russia and Europe through the Baltic Sea were sabotaged. No one took responsibility and no one had a crystal clear motive to do so. Some pointed the finger at the US or the UK, others at Russia, others still at an unspecified pro-Ukrainian group acting of their own volition. Recently, there have been updates. Last Friday, a Danish newspaper reported that a Danish patrol boat took 26 photographs of a Russian submarine rescue ship near the area of the explosions, just four days prior. A former Danish intelligence officer confirmed that the rescue ship in question, an SS-750, is capable of carrying out such an operation. More recently still, an investigative documentary by broadcasters in Denmark, Norway, Sweden and Finland doubled down on the Russia theory, stating that Russian ghost ships able to perform underwater operations were present near to where the explosions took place. The documentary did not conclusively say what the ghost ships were up to, but as the BBC remarks, it certainly raises questions about the unusual nature of the activity. Okay, so that's today's main story, but there's a lot more going on around the world. So here's a rundown of three other stories. Only a few days prior to King Charles III's coronation, the police were called to Buckingham Palace to dispose of some shotgun cartridges that were thrown over the wall. The individual responsible was found to have a knife on him, although he didn't have a gun in his possession. The items have now been recovered and are being taken for a specialist examination. It's also worth pointing out that there have been no reports of any shots fired or any injuries to officers or members of the public. Right now, the event is not being treated as terror-related. Following the incident, police carried out a controlled explosion of the shotgun cartridges, something that actually interfered with a TV broadcast on GB News. Jacob Rees-Mogg was hosting his show near the palace. The police informed him and his co-hosts that they need to evacuate, something that they were a little tetchy about. 
Police are live with us now and I telling us that we've got to evacuate even well, I don't this see how why we could possibly have to move. May we actually get this officially because we're here to work, we're accredited. And you've been in a war zone in your many, beginning of your Many career. war zones under pressure, beaten up, covered civil wars, great disturbances, uh, all out wars around the world, Beirut for 10 years, civil war. Can we just find out, because overreaction is not what the British are about, we do have a certain amount of decorum uh, at, on occasions like this, and so I want to hear the final word, I want to see a policeman here telling us that we can, uh, can no longer broadcast. Could you come and tell us, please? Yeah, yeah. I would, uh, could, would a police officer present herself or herself? Sorry, guys, we have to leave now. Okay. okay. We what have, what is the order? Are you ordering us the, to come the, off the I air? Am, I am, yes. The order is from okay. the police. We have to go off the air. Okay. I'm sorry to interrupt okay. this broadcast. Nevertheless, they did eventually evacuate. There's more on the way, but be sure to subscribe and ring the bell to make the daily briefing part of your daily routine. Or just search for us on your podcast app to listen along. Around the world, on May the 3rd, the World Press Freedom Day is being celebrated. It's designed to raise awareness of the importance of the freedom of the press and to remind governments to uphold freedom of expression, as enshrined in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. However, while this is the theory, this year the UN used the opportunity to highlight the fact that the press are under attack in nearly every corner of the globe. The UN Secretary-General, Antonio Guterres, explained that all our freedom depends on press freedom, and described it as a foundation of democracy and justice. In an attempt to highlight the problem, the UN awarded three imprisoned female Iranian journalists with its premier prize for press freedom. Niloufar Hamedi was one of the recipients. Most notably, she broke the story of Marza Amini, who died in September last year at the hands of Iran's infamous morality police for wearing her headscarf too loosely. Another of the winners is Elahe Mohammadi, who reported on Amini's funeral. The third winner is Nargis Mohammadi, who reported on the protests. In announcing the winners in a ceremony in New York, the UNESCO Director General said, Now more than ever, it's important to pay tribute to all women journalists who are prevented from doing their jobs and who face threats and attacks on their personal safety. According to media reports, NATO is planning to open a liaison office in Japan, the first of its kind in Asia. The intention would be to enable NATO to more closely coordinate with its Asia-Pacific allies like Japan, South Korea, Australia and New Zealand. NATO stands for the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, and Japan obviously isn't a North Atlantic country, but the military alliance does have an increasing interest in the Asia-Pacific region. Nikkei Asia reports that the Tokyo Liaison Office is set to open next year and that NATO and Japan aim to sign an individually tailored partnership program before NATO's big summit in July this year. In its strategic concept unveiled last year, NATO described Russia as the most significant and direct threat to ally security, but also described China as posing systemic challenges to Euro-Atlantic security through its malicious hybrid and cyber operations and its confrontational rhetoric and disinformation. That same strategic concept said NATO would strengthen dialogue and cooperation with new and existing partners in the Indo-Pacific to tackle cross-regional challenges and shared security interests, something that opening an office in Tokyo would allow them to do. The move will almost certainly draw criticism from China, which has previously accused NATO of extending its tentacles to the Asia-Pacific 
and exporting Cold War mentality and block confrontation. In our final uplifting story today, we take a look at how an indigenous group in Indonesia is keeping its rainforest alive. The Kajang, a tribe from the island of Sulawesi, has been credited with saving the area of rainforest they inhabit by putting the forest at the centre of life. A UN review of over 300 studies back in 2021 found that indigenous cultures like the Kajang have contributed to reduce forest destruction in various ways, with recent research finding that indigenous groups, empowered with land rights and resources, are remarkably effective custodians. That's all we have time for on YouTube, but the briefing isn't over. That's because we explain everything going on in the world of politics in May, in the extended ad-free edition of The Daily Briefing, only on Nebula. That's the streaming service we're building with a bunch of our creator friends, many of whom you're likely to be already watching. That means that by signing up, you not only get an extended ad-free daily briefing every single day, you also get to watch exclusive and ad-free videos from the best educational creators on YouTube. That's things like Real Life Law's incredible Modern Conflicts, which breaks down contemporary disputes around the world, Neo's Underexposure, which beautifully dives into complex and shadowy topics you've always wanted to know more about, or Extremities from Wendover Productions, which uncovers some of the world's most remote places. All of these are only available on Nebula, just like our extended daily briefings and a whole bunch of other exclusive TLDR content which never comes to YouTube. If you want to sign up, use the link in the description so that they know you came through us. That helps us out a whole lot, as does watching on Nebula more generally. So thanks for signing up and we'll see you on Nebula.